Hey everyone, I'm Renee Bennett. Consider me the girl next door, having conversations that will help challenge and shape your worldview in a culture that has turned our moral compass upside down and inside out. To chat with me further, come join me on social media, girlnextdoor.podcast. No topics are off limits. I'm really glad you're here. Now, on to today's episode. Hello, guys. Thank you so much for joining me today. This is the longest amount of time that we've spent on one subject, except perhaps the sexual gospel series or collection, which is probably one of my most listened to, actually. But this one's coming in a close second, and it hasn't been around for anywhere near as long. But you guys are all absolutely fascinated And have got so much experience and so many stories yourself to tell about this whole Stranger Things collection. We started with angels, but we very quickly moved on to things like uh, manifesting and yoga and the Enneagram. And um, I I, I thought I was going to do more of the kind of supernatural stuff, but it's really worked its way towards, towards the new age. Last week, I did a big one on TikTok, not TikTok witch talk and witchcraft, which a lot of you wrote into me about that. So I think this might be part five, I think, on the Stranger Things collection. And today I want to, well, you wanted me to talk about, and I'm very intrigued. I was very intrigued at first that you put this in the new age basket, but you want to talk about trauma and this trend, how using the the label trauma for everything has become a trend. And so we are going to, you asked me to unpack, you're like, Renee, what's the difference between experiencing true trauma and being on a, a, a journey of healing for that trauma? But then what's the difference between that and the glorification of trauma, like calling everything trauma? trauma? So I, at first I thought, oh, I'm not going to find enough on this, guys. I found too much stuff. Like, I decided that, and I hope I'm going to get through it all, but I basically, and I've been, literally I've been going over and over and over on my notes because I really wanted to kind of do this topic justice and I didn't want to offend anyone either, but I've broken it into six parts. So this is what we're going to do. I'll take you through the six parts and then we'll begin. So number one is what do we mean by the glorification of trauma? I think it's really important to define that. Number two, how might this glorification of trauma be related to the new age and is it even related? Number three, what is the history of the word trauma and the concept of trauma and how is this definition expanded over time? Number four, why do we glorify it? Number five, what happens when we glorify it? And number six, what might be some other helpful ways that we should be categorizing trauma so we're not labeling everything as trauma? Okay. So let's start with number one. What do we mean when we're talking about the glorification of trauma? Um, now, I re- look, I even tried to find definitions of this, and I could find definitions for the glorification of violence, but it was really hard to find it around this whole concept of trauma. And yet when I say it, everyone knows what I'm talking about. Well, in fact, you guys were the ones that pointed it out to me. So I think the glorification of trauma can fall into two categories. I think it comes out in two different ways. I think we're talking about those that do have or suffer from some sort of trauma, but perhaps overshare it um, or share about it for an extremely long period of time rather than perhaps focusing on, on, on the healing of it. And then I think the other part of it is calling things that are not trauma, trauma. And I think it's more this second category that people are talking about. 
you know, I don't think we're really talking about, you know, people that really might go through something horrible and they're, they're just communicating about it, right? There's a difference between someone that does that and someone that overshares real trauma. But I think where most people would fit is more that we're referring to the turning of everything into a catastrophe. Like everything seems to be hashtag trauma. So I asked you guys what you thought, and I wanted to share a few of them because I think your ideas on what you're seeing probably paint uh, a really good picture. And I love hearing from our GND community. Um, so a couple of you, let, let me just share a few things of what you said. Um, I am a therapist working with trauma and some clients tell me how frustrated they get when trauma and mental illness are now trends on TikTok. They hate it. That's a good point. Another one, they make discovering their trauma an idol that holds all the answers to their future, which sounds really new agey. I agree with that. Another person said they sensationalize trauma and broadcast it on social media for the world to glorify. Um, or when people excuse a personality trait because of their trauma. I think people do that with the Enneagram too. Oh, that's just my reaction. I'm in, I'm a number or whatever. Uh, someone else said wearing it as a badge of honor or using it to define themselves. Uh, someone else said, I see it a lot on TikTok with posts like, I bet you didn't know this was a trauma response, which I'm going to talk about that. Like, you know, putting the idea in people's heads that they've had trauma when they never realized it, but then they go, oh, oh, I respond like that. I must've had trauma. Uh, someone else said in school, I saw people use it as a sense of importance and it being popular. And another person said, I feel like people portray trauma as an achievement or part of their personality or an excuse for their personality. So yeah, all good thoughts there. I think the problem is that when we glorify our trauma and we hold it up as a badge of honor and we make it part of our identity, um, if it is true trauma, then that would actually become a blockage to recovery. And if it's not true trauma, then I'm going to talk about that afterwards, the effect that that can have. Now, look, many people have experienced all kinds of trauma, all right? And so I don't want to minimize anybody's experience. And I'm not about pretending that I understand everybody's trauma. Uh, and so when we talk about this glorification of it, you know, we do risk uh, people saying, well, you're just, you know, shaming victims and that's not the intention at all. And I think that's why I wanted to talk about what we mean with the glorification, because there's a big distinction between, you know, we're not talking about people who actually do suffer and who maybe might do, you know, might communicate about it, but they're not, um, they're not using it for, for attention or, or as their identity. There's a very, very big difference. I also find it really interesting to note that when I used Google as a search engine and I typed in glorifying trauma, uh, not much came up. And the only stuff that did come up talked about how that is uh, shaming victims. But when I used the search engine Brave, which I do love, um, it was a completely different story. So when I put in glorification of trauma there, it seemed to know what I was talking about. And there I found article after article explaining the glorification of trauma uh, in a very compassionate way, but explaining how it is glorified nonetheless. So I hope you all hear where I'm coming from and where my heart is at. I'm all about understanding people and their stories. You know, the Bible talks about weeping with those who weep. 
And I take it as a complete joy and privilege in my role as teacher and pastor over the years to be a part of people's journeys and to help people take steps towards healing. And it's because I want to help people that I want to tackle this subject because I want to see people thrive and I want to see young people thrive and I can see what's happening. I mean, the very fact that the word and the hashtag trauma is becoming a trend should get our alarm bells ringing. It's actually not biblical either to to glorify it. So what I'm seeing today is everything is being labeled as trauma. You know, I'm seeing particularly young people being stuck in a cycle of trauma. I'm seeing a rise in victimhood. I see our victimhood has become a sign, uh, a status symbol. And yes, I do see the glorification of trauma, the almost holding it up as a badge of honor. And it's like whoever has the greatest trauma just trumps everyone. And we're seeing, you know, very highly emotional and outsized responses compared to the circumstance. Now, the word trauma is a very real psychiatric word, and it's become really present in pop culture. And experts are really worried that the actual word trauma is losing its meaning. You know, we're speaking of trauma incessantly these days. If you look up the hashtag trauma on Instagram, you'll see 4.2 million posts. On TikTok, 14.1 billion. So again, not quite as much content as witch talk, uh, but still a lot of content around trauma. Trauma is everywhere. There are thousands of podcasts with trauma in the title. There's New York Times bestselling books like The Body Keeps Score. Uh, On our screens with trauma is becoming a part of uh, the main plot in movies. For example, the The Matrix Resurrection featured trauma therapy. There are plenty of celebrities talking about it, even Justin Bieber saying that trauma stuff affected his first year of marriage. There are yoga posts on YouTube for trauma stress. And then, of course, trending hashtags on TikTok like hashtag trauma dump, where the creators describe their various traumas. Now, that one has been viewed 102 million times. So yes, trauma is real and can result in real disorders, but these days it just seems like every person has trauma. Okay, so number two, how might the new age and glorifying uh, trauma be related? So let's start off with why you guys have asked me to talk about it in the new age section. Um, Is it connected? Is there a link between new age and the glorification of, of trauma? And at first I was like, oh, I'm not sure how that might be connected because the glorification of trauma is about staying the victim and studying, um, sorry, staying stuck and, you know, advertising over processing, whereas the new age is about self-improvement and self-care. So they seem to be at odds with one another. But on a further think about it, I can see why you guys connected it. And I do agree with you. There's a very interesting pattern here that with the rise of new age, has come the rise of this incessant focus on ourself. And at the same time, there's been a rise in the use of trauma, of the word trauma. So here's where the commonality lies. Both are about the self. Now, I've talked about this before with a couple of times about the new age. You go to the back of any new age book, look under the letter S, and you'll find everything to do with self. It's all about self-love, self-worth, self-esteem. You know, New Age focuses on how I feel, finding the inner me and being true to myself. And turning every experience into a trauma also has its roots in self. It's thinking about oneself. 
So new age is the gospel of self and trauma actually fits perfectly here. You know, identifying oneself as oppressed, that's all about the new age. It's all about what someone else or something else took from me. So the new age tells us that if we want to heal, that the healing will come from inside of us, that we have what we need. It's it's about more self-love and being patient with oneself. And, you know, all the language that we hear when it comes to trauma is exactly the same. But I wanted to point out here that Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 2, that in the last days, men will be lovers of self. This just seems to fit right here. You know, we're told that self-love is this vital ingredient of mental health and that the lack of self-love is our biggest problem. And, you know, glorifying this expanded version of trauma really is about an indulgence of self. Now, if we were to follow the teachings of Jesus, then we would take our brokenness and we would bring it to the foot of the cross. We'd put our hearts in his hands. We would seek healing from outside of ourselves. Our problem is not a lack of self-love. It's actually the opposite. It's an excess. And this whole pointing towards me, me, me is just indulging self again. Now, we certainly can go through things. Okay, I'm not saying that there's not space to acknowledge things that we go through and to talk about it. And we can, you know, move towards healing and help others through uh, their experiences from what we've experienced, but this is not what we're talking about. Okay. Now the Bible says, for example, to rejoice in the Lord always, it doesn't say rejoice in the Lord, unless you've had an unhappy childhood, you know, or be anxious for nothing, unless you have a nervous disposition. It doesn't say forgive unless you've had historical intergenerational trauma. And so we're seeing that this whole concept of self and trauma, and, uh, it really just doesn't fit in with our worldview at all. You know, our freedom and our healing from anything, from especially from trauma, it comes from the very opposite place that the world tells us. It doesn't come from staying in it. It doesn't come from talking about it over and over or posting about it. And it doesn't come from within. It doesn't come from all the places that New Age would tell us to go. It comes only from God, the one who made us. Okay. So, Uh, you know, love, joy, peace, they're not the fruit of self-love. Those things are the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Okay. So that was number two, uh, how new age and glorification of trauma definitely are connected. Number three, let's look at the history of trauma and how it's expanded over time. This is really interesting, guys. Let's look at trauma and what the history of this word, what it used to mean, what it means now, and why there's so much posting about it. Now, at the moment, trauma is still defined as actual or threatened death, serious injury, or sexual violence. And this can be as either a victim or a witness. Let me say this again, because this is really important. Trauma is actually defined as an actual or threatened death, serious injury, or sexual violence. And it can be experienced as a victim or a witness. That is trauma. And people who suffer in these ways truly suffer. It can be a physical injury, an emotional response, or an experience. 
But that's, that's what the word means now, okay? But let's look back a little bit. Let's go back historically. Historically, it was never used for anything psychological. It actually just referred to physical wounds. Like, you know, if you've ever watched any American hospital shows, they talk about the trauma, the trauma ward, or there's a trauma victim coming in. It's always to do with physical wounds. Now, the reason is, guys, this is so fascinating, but the word trauma, the Greek word for trauma comes from uh, the word wound. So, and it's still used today in physical settings. Then I think it was in the, oh, look, don't quote me on the date, the date for this one. It might've been the late, maybe the early 1900s, maybe a little bit later, but psychologists began to use it for, for psychological damage where that first started was World War One. So these men came back from the war and they didn't just have horrific physical injuries, but a lot of them came back very, um, I guess what they might have said back then was very, uh, you know, they had nightmares. They were having night terrors um, and they, there was no word for it. Now we know it now that these soldiers came back with what we would now know as PTSD. They had shocking not just physical trauma, they had psychological trauma, but there was no word for it back then. And so the word that they came up with was shell shock. If you watch any old World War I movie, the soldiers that came back that suffered psychologically, you'll hear the term shell shock. And so that's when uh, trauma first started being kind of associated with not just a physical wound, but with the mind. Then as we started to come towards the 60s and the 70s, Uh, racial injustice, violence against women and child abuse began to all be seen as trauma. Then as we crept towards the 90s, we started to hear terms such as collective trauma or cultural trauma, historical trauma and intergenerational trauma. They were all introduced. So we just take for granted, right, that when we think of the word trauma, we already know all those things are included, but it wasn't so just a few decades ago. So the expansion of the term has been good in one way, but in another way, it's had an unfortunate side effect where now the word trauma has expanded so far that it's become a trend. The word trauma now has become a narrative where we are stripped of agency. In other words, the narrative is we don't have any control over our actions. You know, an event happened to us, an aggressor attacked us, or we're born into intergenerational suffering and we're powerless and the trauma affects us, changes us and is beyond our control. And that's kind of where we're starting to land now. And the other thing is, Clearly, trauma has a currency, meaning that we get something out of it. We're using it as a payoff. Now, if this wasn't true, then it wouldn't be trending. There must be something about using the word trauma that appeals to us. And now with the rise of online content, people share their lives and their challenges and their struggles. And this began back with MySpace and it's only grown. There's a sense of the worse your trauma, 
which by the way, can be anything from a mere upsetting experience, the more justified your response. Now I talked before about seeing the word trauma and seeing whole books written about trauma, but there's a best-selling book called The Body Keeps Score. And the author, Van der Kolk, chronicles what real trauma looks like from decades of working with truly traumatized patients. Now this same doctor disagrees with the idea that all traumatic events are universally traumatizing. And yet now that's kind of the narrative, right? Like, oh, we've all got, we've all got trauma from COVID. Like we have to experience it universally, but he disagrees. And he tells this story of this young son of his friend who was dropped off to school the morning of September 11th. So that was the attack on the Twin Towers in New York. Now the school had full view of the Twin Towers and this little boy witnessed the entire event. But with the support of his family, this boy grew up and was not in any way traumatized. And so this author, this 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 professional that's worked for decades with thousands of trauma victims, uh, really disagrees with the idea that that everyone has to be affected. But, you know, that idea just seems shocking to most people because the forced narrative is that, well, you must be traumatized from even the slightest so-called trauma. So Van der Kolk goes on to say that there's a big difference, and I really want to emphasize this, between feeling distress and being disordered. And so he says that we really need new language to describe our current human experience rather than just using the word trauma. And I couldn't agree more. You know, even last week, my Witch Talk episode, I accidentally posted it to my Facebook. And I don't like doing that because honestly, to tell you the truth, I just avoid Facebook half the time. It just seems to be full of superior self-professed theologians who seem to uh, love pulling apart and reading into just like one word or phrase. And I just really can't be bothered. Um, But anyway, it accidentally went to my Facebook and I'd said in the caption that witchcraft is connected to feminism. Now, if you follow Girl Next Door and you listen to the episode, that sentence would make complete sense. But no, people love to grab a phrase and totally slap you over the head with it. And so on hops this woman who goes on to pen an entire essay on feminism and how oppressed women have been in male-dominated church world and feminism's been a gift and on and on. And I'm like, lady, I'm not even talking about feminism. Okay, I just made a quick connection there. But look, I've done entire episodes on Girl Next Door about feminism. And yes, it's got good parts and it's got down parts. And I just said one little thing and here I am. Another guy jumped on too, telling me I must do this and I must do that. And I was like, dude, you're lucky I don't call you the patriarchy. (laughs) Because if I was a traumatized, oppressed woman, that's what I would do. But I just thought, you know, this is everything that is wrong with society right now. We've we've all become justified victims of something. And so I just had enough of this woman trying to tell me that we're all oppressed. So I jumped on and I said, actually, I'm teaching young girls the opposite. I'm teaching them that they're not victims. This is a false narrative. Otherwise, how would I, a female of all things, be able to pioneer and run and grow a national leadership college where, by the way, we've seen the raising of more young women in leadership and pastoral roles than almost any other Christian leadership college. So 
Anyway, I just I just get over this whole victim, 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 victim. I'm like, you're not a victim. Let's all start taking personal responsibility for our lives. But what's happening is using the word trauma is turning every event into a catastrophe and it's leaving us helpless and unable to move on and stuck in this perpetual cycle of victimization. But what's worse to me is how it's become a status symbol from which we seem to garner an identity and attention. And, you know, I wonder sometimes, is all we're doing advertising it rather than processing it? Is it the ultimate virtue signal? And the consequence to this is that we no longer know what is real trauma and what's over-exaggerated so that those with the true trauma could be overlooked and not given the right treatment while everyone else learns to stay a victim rather than to learn what will truly help us, which is resilience. You know, it sends the message that we are fragile when the truth is the human spirit to survive is incredible and we're not as fragile as we think. So I think what we need to do is to get back to calling things correctly as they are from separating true trauma from what is just part of the common experience of being human, understanding that, you know, at times we are all going to feel overwhelmed or stressed or even distressed, but this is much different from the true harrowing experiences that define trauma. So I want to be clear. Yes, there is true trauma. But the definition of trauma historically has expanded and expanded with every passing decade until we've landed ourselves here, where trauma can be pretty much anything, where it's being used to describe a wide array of events and where there's no differentiation between actual trauma and an unfortunate um, misfortune. So for example, guys, we've got a group of students saying that they were traumatized in America by finding Trump 2016 written in chalk on campus pavement, or a trauma-sensitive yoga instructor saying that she's got hair trauma from growing up with really curly, frizzy hair. I mean, trauma these days can be reading or seeing something without a trigger warning or or watching upsetting news unfold, or not being called the correct pronoun. So trauma seems to have come down to anything that bothers you. So according to Google Trends, the word trauma has grown by a third in the last five years. You know, I mean, dare I say it, has it become a way to explain life's problems as someone else's fault? So that's a bit of the history of of the word trauma and how it's just expanded to become what it is today. Number four, So why do we do this? Why do we glorify trauma? And I think that there are many reasons on why we do this. Um, It's certainly the trendy thing to do. Uh, You know, could it be that we get attention from it? Are we getting sympathy? Are we wanting to perhaps make a political point or we want to get our way? Are we trying to shut someone else down, right? I've seen people do that. It's like, well, you can't talk about that because you haven't had that trauma like I have. Um, so it's like a way of shutting other people down. Like you can't have an opinion. I think, I think, uh, the black lives matters was, was big on that, right? Like if you, if you were white, then you don't have the right to speak. You couldn't say anything. And so it's closing down other people, uh, or maybe people are doing it because everyone else is doing it. So it seems far more acceptable now, um, to have something wrong with us than right. Uh, So I just think it's a combination of all of those things, all of the above. Maybe it gives us an excuse to not participate in something. 
But I think part of the context too is that the age of trauma is unfolding in the age of social media. I definitely think that they're connected, that it's no accident that the rise in the word trauma has happened at the same time with the age of social media unfolding, where everyone is striving on some level to rise above the noise, to be taken seriously, um, you know, to feel heard, so to speak. Um, we also know too that uh, victims of wrongdoing tend to be perceived as perhaps more moral or virtuous than others. And so, you know, using trauma language perhaps gives the speaker more authority. Um, it, it's, not a, it's not a huge leap then to imagine that deploying the language of trauma or of harm or even of personal struggle seems to carry some cultural capital, right? So using trauma-ringed language is part of this, you know, righteous crusade. But I think even those of us who perhaps have experienced true trauma, there's also a trend towards advertising it. I think the reason is when we perceive ourselves as wounded, that that wounded self becomes the safety zone and moving beyond it, we know that that will require grieving a devastating loss. And so sometimes I think it feels more comfortable for us to sit in the pain, you know, to believe even the the lie that I am my trauma and I've got to keep revisiting and revisiting and, and never let it go. I think it's become a far better story to make sure that others know what we've gone through, right? Like I want people to know what I've gone through and what I fought for and what I've suffered because we want to be commended. We want to be heard. We want to, uh, you know, we want our struggles to be seen. Maybe we even want to be told that we're brave and we're a hero. So I think though that moving into thriving, and any psychologist would tell you this, but moving into thriving means that some parts of us will all will always carry alone. Guys, can I be really honest here? Do you know a huge part of leadership is actually um, carrying some stuff alone? And when I say alone, I don't mean alone, alone, okay? Because of course we've got God and we should have our friends, right? But you will never see Cameron and I posting stuff that I think what's happening is we're seeing a lot of stuff that is not for public consumption that should be kept private being posted. And I think before we start advertising anything, you know, Cameron and I, uh, we don't share a lot of stuff on social media. It's just as a leader, we process those things quietly behind closed doors with people that we love and we trust. We don't post them out on, on social media. And I think there's a really fine line between being real and, um, and, uh, and not airing everything out to the public. I think we need great wisdom to know what's for public consumption and what's not. And, you know, for those of us that have gone through stuff, I mean, there's stuff I've gone through recently that I wouldn't have told you guys on the podcast just to do with all the COVID stuff and some of the things that names that I've been called and um, a, a, a close family member that's just treated me Honestly, like anyone else would say traumatically, like it's pretty, it's been pretty bad, but some things we just have to carry, you know, on our own behind closed doors. And, you know, we have to come to the point where we know that sometimes not all things are reparable. Sometimes there's no compensation uh, and that's a hard place to come to, but it, it's a mature place to come to. And I think telling those things over and over and over and over 
is not going to make it, it's not going to make things any better for us. So the truth is that for those of us who have had our heart broken and scarred, who have lived with rejection or violence or pain or adversity, not many will truly understand what we've been through at the core. And I think that sometimes we glorify trauma because we want people to know uh, who we are because when they when they know, they might understand not only who we are, but you know how brave we've been or how much courage we've had. And that perhaps, you know, we'll get the compensation we crave because compensation acknowledges what we went through. And I guess what that says is we matter and we all want to matter, right? I reckon one of the most moving words that I'll never forget that someone gave me being really vulnerable right here a couple of years ago, I went and preached in Adelaide at a church where there are a lot of families who knew my family back when I was little, back, I'm talking back when I was five and my parents first divorced. And one of those, um, one of those couples, they're obviously in their seventies now. And the, and the, the husband came up to me after the meeting and he gave me this beautiful word and he said something, I won't share all of it, but he said something around the fact that everything that I went through, that it was never meant to happen, that it was not a part of the plan. Of course, you know, the rejection and my parents divorced, my mom divorced twice, just so much stuff. And, um, and he said to me, he goes, um, God wants you to know that he's watched you and you've just fought your way back quietly. And God is so proud of you. But because of that, um, you've, you know what it is to conquer nothing's going to conquer you. Nothing, you know, you're such an overcomer. And he just went on anyway. I was so moved. I was almost moved to tears. I think because there's a lot of stuff that I haven't shared and a lot of stuff I don't say and a lot of stuff that will go on in my heart that, you know, I don't make public. And just to know that God sees it, like, you know, this guy giving me that word, it it was validation from God, you know? And I think, guys, the only validation that when it's like God saying, hey, Hey, my sweet girl, I see you. I've seen you the whole way and I'm so proud of you. And that's the only validation we need. So I really feel like that's encouraging someone out there that you've been through stuff and you don't advertise it and you don't really talk about it and you deal with it behind closed doors. Can I just say you're not alone? God sees you and the only validation you need is from him. And, you know, some family members in my life have never changed and are still causing me pain to this day, like major. And and some stuff, it's like, you know, it's not, I won't be compensated in this life, but I'm okay with that because God knows. And I think that's where we need to get to that point. I don't need to post my trauma, right? Because I don't need validation from social media. Because look, if we can be really honest, I feel like we're really getting honest to you guys. When we post and we overpost, what we're wanting is validation and we're going to the wrong source for it. So, you know, as words gain meaning, they can also lose precision. precision. And I think that's what's happened with the word trauma. So we need to return precision to the word trauma. Okay, so number five, we're nearly there. What happens when we glorify trauma? What happens? Well, I think a lot of different things happen. Firstly, like I just said, we're going to the wrong place for validation. So it's not, it's not ever truly going to satisfy us. Uh, I think it minimizes those who really have experienced trauma. I had another young girl say, 
say to me this week that she's been, and I know her, and she really has been through real and repeated trauma. I know her story. And comparing, you know, a stressful life experience and calling that trauma is really offensive to people like her who've really suffered. Um, If we're calling everything trauma, we're actually not doing ourselves a favor at all. You know, if we think, for example, shout out to Demi Lovato. If we think that walking past a sugar-free cookie in a frozen yogurt store like Demi Lovato uh, called trauma, if we think that's trauma, how are we going to cope when we really experience trauma, like losing a loved one? I think it's also keeping us stuck in a victim mentality. I think we are literally being turned into victims on a daily basis. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm raising victorious people in my household. I want to be a victorious person, not a constant victim. I think, uh, and this is one I really want to focus on, it really stops us from building resilience. We need to be building resilience muscles because we're always playing the victim. And instead of situations being seen as difficult but normal life events that we can get over, they're seen as these insurmountable traumas and we're mentally and emotionally weakening an entire generation. Now, as you know, I've talked about it before, Georgia had a terrible car accident uh, a year or so ago, and yes, it affected her, but we didn't call it trauma. We're like, sweetie, you're going to be fine. You're going to get over it. Life event, right? So I think we've got to stop labeling everything. You know, if everything is trauma, then we don't have to take personal responsibility for our lives. I think it's just becoming an excuse for everything. The other thing is when other people catastrophe, can I use the word catastrophize? Let's use the word catastrophize. When other people catastrophize everything, it's actually going to have and is having a devastating effect on other people who are watching this. Now I'm talking social media, especially young people. It's teaching them that everything is a trauma and that everything is traumatizing. And that in itself is traumatizing. I literally had a friend text me this week, just at her wit's end, um, that, uh, you know, some young people in her life who are going through completely normal teenage emotions and situations, but because they're being saturated with everyone saying they've got trauma, they think their situation is trauma. And now they're being devastated by normal emotions and they can't differentiate anymore. So if we call everything trauma, we're just not going to be able to differentiate. The minors are now becoming majors. And when we think about it, Proverbs 23 says that as we think we become, well, that's really worrying guys, because we've got a generation thinking about trauma all the time, which means we're going to have a generation who are traumatized. Labels are powerful. All right, but this is where I wanted to finish it. Number six, what helpful ways can we be categorizing this so not everything becomes a trauma? What what should we be doing? Like uh, the author Van der Kolk says, you know, we need to be creating new language because it's becoming harmful to be calling everything trauma. Okay, I think there are three categories. I'll quickly talk through each one. Number one, I think that, so three categories. One is that it's not a trauma at all. It's just an uncomfortable experience that causes us stress or a bit of distress. Number two is a small T, baby T experience. And number three is the capital T trauma, okay? Let's start with number one, non-traumas. So this is actually most of what is now mistaken for trauma. Most of what we're seeing mainstream fits in this category. It is not really trauma. Life stresses that we call trauma, but in reality, we can cope with 
when we have resilience. You know, we're talking about things really that we can manage, like it might be an unrealistic workload or an offense caused by someone or a relationship trouble, a financial stress. Year 12 at school, guys, I don't know how many parents I'm seeing talking about their kid not able to cope, mental health problems. I'm like, Guys, we've been going through year 12 for decades. Come on. We need to build the resilience in our young people. It could be friendship troubles. It could be disagreements, hardships of all all kinds, ordinary adversities. All of these things are not traumas. They're normal life experiences. So, you know, we're talking about instances like Demi Lovato, you know, who says it's trauma at having to go past a sugar-free cookie in a frozen yogurt shop. You know, Demi said she'd become the victim of diet culture's harmful messaging, for goodness sakes, or the artist who claimed falsely that Taylor Swift doesn't write her own songs. It's not trauma. It's just a misinformed um, person, but his words are being labeled damaging. Okay, so we've got to differentiate that a lot of these things are not trauma at all. They're just their normal life hardships. Secondly, the little T, the baby T traumas. So these are events that exceed our capacity uh, to cope and do cause disruption, but they're not life or body threatening, okay? But they might leave us feeling helpless, okay? So we're differentiating the the full-blown life or body threatening traumas. That's not these, okay? So we're talking things that do leave us feeling helpless, are a little bit beyond our normal coping level. It's not saying we can't cope with them, but we're talking things such as divorce, infidelity, maybe relocating, uh, legal trouble, being sacked from a job, um, probably some sicknesses, uh, bullying, childbirth, I hear a lot of women these days saying they're traumatized by their childbirth. Oh my goodness. Um, So these are the things, um, you know, where maybe one of these things on its own we could cope with, um, even though we'd probably need help to cope. But I would say, uh, you know, if we experienced multiple of these in succession, um, these definitely would affect us. Um, And sometimes with some of these two, it will affect us down the track and we don't realize at the time. Okay. So that's the little T traumas. So they are, they definitely are fitting into the the trauma category, but they're not the like life uh, major, like threatening events. Okay. But they're still traumatic. But the third category would be the capital T. So we are talking extraordinary or significant events like these leave you feeling completely powerless and without control and devastated, like a natural disaster or a terror attack, a sexual assault, the death of a loved one, uh, combat, like we are talking before, like being in the military. Now, these capital T traumas, they're easily identified. These are the ones where we're like, oh my gosh, did you hear about this? These are the ones where we, you know, a community gets together and rallies around because we know that it leaves the victim feeling helpless. It interferes with their daily functioning. So there you go. So I think that really helps. I think next time we see stuff, we need to go, okay, what category does that fit into? Is it just, you know, yes, that's difficult and it's a hardship, but it's not a trauma. Is it a little T trauma or is it a big T extraordinary life event trauma? Oh, guys, we did it. 40 minutes. So look, there was so much to be said about that subject. I couldn't believe how much that kind of blew out in the end. Um, But I just think the issue is that 
everything's become really, really generalized. And so I really agree with that author that we need to redefine the language because at the moment, this is where we're at. You know what? It's not even redefining language. That's a part of it. But I think we've got this this really unhealthy narrative where it's like all pain, all pain is harm and all harm is trauma and all trauma comes from an abuser, right? Like that's kind of where we're sitting now, which by the way is critical theory. I've talked about this before, that everybody fits into two categories. You're either oppressed or you're the oppressor. That guys is called critical theory. I really should unpack that on a podcast one day because we're seeing a lot of it. It's like you can't just live a normal life in the in-between. You're either oppressed and a victim of trauma or you're the one doing the traumatizing. Um, so, you know, but there's plenty of things going on in the world that just don't warrant the severe language of trauma. But unfortunately, we have gotten to the stage where we're using th- this language of harm for everything, but not everything is trauma. Oh, there you go, guys. Um, do you want me to do one more on this? Can you let me know? I was thinking we could talk about how psychics are not talking to the dead, but they could be talking to the demons. Do you want to do something like that? Oh, and then I've still got Jake's episode to play to you guys where he tried to sell his soul to the devil. That's really fascinating. Anyway, can you guys let me know? Go on nextdoor.podcast. Do you want me to do something else on this or are you done? Do you want me to swap topics? I need to know. You need to tell me. Anyway, I love you all. Have a wonderful week and I'll be back with you on Friday. Until then, bye.